Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome to the Ask Brian Radio Show. We have a guest today that is extremely important to the launch of your business and an incredible professional in the arena of trademark law. Peter Bronstein is an experienced CEO with a demonstrated history of working in the business services industry, skilled in negotiation, customer service, sales, business development, and entrepreneurship. Peter is the Chief Executive Officer at Ask Brian. I'd like you to welcome Peter Bronstein of the Law Offices of Peter Bronstein. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much, Tracy. We are happy to have you here for a couple of reasons. One is because of your extensive background in business and entrepreneurship, because our audience is full of questions. They're all in the midst of either launching a business or small business owners or business owners with podcasts trying to grow their businesses. So let's start with a little bit of background on your business growth experiences, because you have really worked in a lot of different facets of the law since you became a lawyer, correct? That is correct. Um, I've been practicing now for over 30 years, so I am dating myself, but I'm a young uh, person, even though I've been practicing for over 30 years. The first position I had was I was in-house counsel at Mailboxes, etc., which uh, in case some people may not know the name of the company, they are now called the UPS Store. And that was a franchise. When I joined, they had about 800 locations. And about four years later, when I left, they had over 3,500 locations. And basically, as the attorney there, I was handling vendor contracts, structuring, and the worldwide trademark registration for the Mailbox Citra name throughout the world. And that was prior to the current system that they have where you can do things electronically. We had to actually go out and find attorneys in every single country in addition to the United States. Uh, after that, I then decided to open up my own practice, which I did. Uh, that was about 1994. And from 1994 since, I've had my own law practice. I've represented a whole bunch of companies, some of which have been multi-million dollar companies and sold for over 10 or 20 million dollars in the web hosting industry, in the content delivery network industry, uh, in real estate, and a whole bunch of different businesses. Um, and as such, I have tremendous experience in both incorporating and copyrights as well as trademark registrations in the United States. Well, and there's one really important piece that we left out is how we know each other, because we are the host and co-host, you being the host, me being the co-host of the Ask Brian radio show. And that is on um, AM, FM, and as a podcast, of course. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, you already know that. But um, you were just saying before we started recording that the Ask Brian radio show is coming up on its fifth year anniversary. Share a little bit with us, even though I'm super familiar with it, a little bit about the Ask Brian radio show and AskBrian.com. So the AskBrian.com started first. That was started in October of 2016. And at that time, our goal was to try to 
help educate business owners to help them solve business problems, have experts solve the business problems. And basically, when you had a business, if you didn't have any idea how to solve your problem, we could try to help you out. While I was actually working on the site, I was interviewed on a radio station, and they liked me so much they asked me whether or not I would start my own show. The show was started in January of 2016, and my co-host at the time was Lindsay Mann and Ron Tunick. Ron Tunick had been a coach and also was a uh, owned a merchant account company. Lindsay Mann was a real estate agent. So the three of us started the show. We've had a number of exceptional guests. One of our most famous guests probably was the founder of The Learning Annex, which is a huge company for corporate training and started back in the 80s. Has on his Rolodex Tony Robbins and Sylvester Stallone. We've also had Oatly Milk, which is a now publicly traded corporation where basically they are selling milk made from oats. And we've had a number of exceptional guests throughout the years. We also had a co-host, Alex Grossman, who was there for a number of years, who worked with Steve Jobs and Tim Cook and gave many, many speeches. So we've had quite a, quite a history here. It's quite an accomplishment. I'm very glad you and I met, and we've been able to do the show for over almost close to a year and a half now. And I find that each show, we learn more things about business owners and try to help solve business problems. Yes, and, and thank you for that. I mean, I know that I am your all-time favorite co-host of all of the five years. You didn't have to say it. I'll just go ahead and say it for you. <laughs> but we do have a lot of fun. And um, if you're not familiar with the Ask Brian radio show, you can listen to it and, uh, live streaming on Facebook weekly on Thursdays. And you can also check out askbrian.com. And uh, so let's just get right into it in terms of what you were saying about working with uh, the business growth and working with entrepreneurs. I know we're going to focus a lot on trademarking today, which is such an important, I cannot even reiterate how important trademarks are to business owners. And but one question that I often get as a business development strategist is to even understand, like start, let's just start with the basics to really even understand what is the difference between a patent, a copyright, and a trademark? So a patent is basically, usually it's an invention, and it's a technical process whereby somebody has a systematic way of producing a mechanical design or product. And that's really what a patent is. And typically, a patent will be created by an engineer or an engineer who's also an attorney will have to typically file that application. That's typically done for, hey, I discovered something that, hey, this little cap works on the, uh, on the eyeglasses or, or I've created a new software that's beyond just software. It actually does something with a, a mechanical process associated with it. A copyright is basically a creative idea. So it's something unique, and it's basically, think of a photograph or think of a, a song or a book. Those are items that can be copyrighted. They cannot be patented because there's no specific mechanical project to it, and they can't be trademarked, which I'm going to get into now. Trademark is basically a word, a phrase, or a design. So while there might be a slight overlap between a design on a trademark and a copyright, the fact of the matter is, is that trademark is distinctive. Trademark is basically, you know, it has a word phrase to it. And one of the things people are very, very rarely don't understand is trademark is an item used like a symbol or word on a good 
whereas a service mark is the same thing but on a service. So if you're doing the law office of Peter Bronstein and we wanted to trademark something, that would be a service mark. But if we wanted to trademark law office of Peter Bronstein, we'd have to actually have it on a product. So it could be on a glove, it could be on a notepad, but it would have to physically be on a product because it must be a good. And the other thing is many, many people do not understand that a trademark itself is established based on usage, not based on registration. So you could own a trademark and never, ever, ever get it registered. On the same token, you can have a trademark that has not even been used, that you're intending on using, and you can apply to get a trademark registration. There are also, because trademark rights are based on usage, not registration, if somebody has been using the mark and never got it registered, they may have a superior right to somebody that actually has the mark registered. And those processes can be comp quite complicated and are beyond the scope of any discussion we have here. But essentially to say, if you had a trademark and somebody else had a trademark and you can prove that you're using it first, you could have that trademark that was being registered could become canceled potentially. But I, that's beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about. We really want to talk about registration and trademarks and how they work today. Well, you know, there's been a lot of buzz at the timeliness of this particular interview anyway. There's been a lot of buzz around the transition of Facebook to Meta. And all kinds of numbers have been flying around in terms of what Facebook has paid to buy the trademark, if you will, of Meta. And how does that line up in terms of what you were just saying in terms of use versus in use? And was the Meta already under someone else's trademark and did they have to purchase it from them? So I don't know the specific facts of, of that, but what I can tell you is that if somebody else has the mark out there or domain and you want to start using that, the only real option is to actually buy it. So any company that transfers a name or changes the brand name can be quite expensive. The one that I, the first one I remember, and I'm totally dating myself and probably no one remembers, but there used to be Esso <laughs> Gas and Esso Gasoline became Exxon. And oh yes, I I actually am right there with you on the essay, so we're good. <laughs> so I'm not the I'm not the only. You're, you're not alone <laughs> <Right>. here. <laughs> but it is quite expensive to change a brand name because when you have to do that, it's not just your stationery and whatever. People are associating your product or your service with a specific name. So to transfer or change your name is quite expensive, even if. It was available, even if you're the first person to use it, and even if you would have no problems getting the trademark registration, you would still have a big problem in trying to brand it out. Most people are still going to think of Facebook as Facebook, not as Meta. Now, Meta is actually an unusual concept also because Meta is this new metaverse and this new meta concept. And one of the things with a trademark is you cannot have a mark that is descriptive of your service or product. Most people aren't aware of this. In fact, most people think you want to make your mark descriptive of the product or service when reality is the strongest mark, the ones that you're going to have less resistance from in terms of registering it or problems down the road are marks that are unique. But most people, when they do tend to register a mark, they do typically find something that is descriptive. And the reality is a descriptive mark is going to have a difficulty in getting registered. So I always tell people, if you're going to pick a mark, pick up something unique. Nobody knew who McDonald's was before it was created. When people think of Apple, they always thought of the fruit. Never they thought of the product. So remember that. Well, and Blackberry too, I would imagine. So that 
They do say an well, apple a day keeps the doctor away, so I don't know why Apple Computer never came up with that slogan. Well, that might be, but that but that might be why BlackBerry isn't around anymore, and Apple still is. <laughs> well, the reason I brought up the fa- the Facebook issue is because there are lots of things floating around about it. But one of one of the things is is that um, there was a apparently a sixty million dollar buyout of a bank that um, had the Meta trademark. And I wanted to segue into this because we're just talking about a regional bank who was smart enough at the time without having any awareness whatsoever that a large corporation of the magnitude of Facebook would come along and want their trademark. And so it's not that you need to, as a small business owner, be thinking about, I'm going to trademark this in the, in the event that someone wants to buy it from me. But I think my point more so is that you're never too small to trademark. And I think that's one of the common misperceptions is that my business is too small to be trademarked. And I'd love for you to speak on what, why that is a perception and why people need to overcome that perception. Well, the perception is because you're local. You're just doing business in a specific city or location, and you don't think that you need to spend uh, the money to go ahead and get it registered. Reality-wise, it's not a very expensive process to get it registered. But if you want to make sure that your name is protected, the best thing you can do is to get it registered. By registering your mark, and by the way, that process typically will take nine months to two years to get your mark registered. Unfortunately, with COVID, everything has gone online and where it normally would take four or five months, everything is now taking over a year before the examiners even have an opportunity to review a trademark. But if you have something that you want to keep, the best way to protect it is to get it trademarked. But before you do that, you need to make sure that nobody else is using that mark. Because if somebody else has, you know, as I said, you don't need to register it to have a trademark. So if I'm using that name and I have a business that's located on the border of Texas and Louisiana and I'm selling hot sauce, H-A-U-T-E-S-A-U-C-E, and I'm selling a specific hot sauce, it may not be registered. But that doesn't mean that I have full reign to go ahead and and then I own it. Because if somebody else was using it prior to me, they will have that right. So basically, you're going to be spending money every day on a website, every day in marketing, every day in advertising, building a brand name. The last thing you want to do is spend 10 years and, you know, even if you're only spending $5,000 a year, that's still $50,000 you spent over 10 years. And then somebody can come in and just take it away from you. You've built out a brand name and now you could lose it. So that's the reason why a small business owner needs to be thinking along those ways. And so in terms of a small business owner, if they, for example, buy the domain of their business. So you're using the example of the hot sauce and you're spelling it H-O-T-E sauce. So if the business in Louisiana buys the URL H-O-T-E-S-A-U-C-E.com and they have a website that has an online store for hot sauce under that URL, is that considered in use? And then would you still have to register as a trademark? Because I think that's where a lot of small businesses get confused because they're like, well, I have the .com then I own the brand. Well, there's a couple of things there. First of all, the systems are different. So when you're going to register a domain name versus registering a trademark, there's a different database that's reviewed. While the trademark office will take a look at domain names, when you're registering a domain, they don't you could actually go out and register Coca-Cola if Coca-Cola had not registered it. So just be, be that's one issue is that there are two different databases. Two, right. 
the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office does consider a website to be considered for trademark purposes. So if you are using a website domain name, that is acceptable specimen and acceptable validity to become a trademark. However, you still have to meet all the other prior requirements. So if you have gone out and got hotsauce.com, that doesn't mean that you can own the trademark to it because if somebody else out there is using it, as we use in my example, in Texas and Louisiana or in New York and New Jersey, the fact of the matter is if somebody is using it prior to me in what's defined as interstate commerce, that's more than one state, then it is eligible to be registered. Once you're on the internet, you are definitely in more than one state, which is why it's an acceptable usage to apply for a trademark registration, but that doesn't mean that you own it. There's also cyber squatting rules, too, whereas uh, you have to be careful just because you have hot sauce, H-A-U-T-E, H-O-T sauce, whatever. They sound the same for trademark purposes. If a mark is very similar in name, phonetically in name, you're not going to get it registered. So it wouldn't matter just because you've got the domain that you can get it registered. Got it. Okay. So the next question is, uh, when you're talking about in use and products, what is the like, for example, if a business sells, we're going to just walk this whole scenario all the way through because it just keeps things simple in my mind. So you sell hot sauce, okay, and that's great. And then you sell a t-shirt with hot sauce on it. And then you sell a cookbook with hot sauce on it. And then you start a podcast that's all about hot sauce. So do you have to file a trademark application for the cookbook for the podcast for the online e-commerce store for the label on the um, on the hot so- sauce bottle like at what point does it just get crazy to uh, to file all these trademarks for in use well typically so th- there there are approximately 45 classifications that the US patent and trademark office uses one may be for clothing and t-shirts one may be for books one may be for the actual hot sauce itself so if you're applying at one time and you're using it on all those items, you can apply and file one application. That would even include the podcast. So you could apply for one one application, but you would have what's called a multiple class application. And in a multiple class application, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office typically charges a fee of about $250 per class. So if you were going to do that, you would be spending about $1,000 in filing fees to go ahead and get your application registered. If you only had one class, it would only be $250. So that's how it applies. But you can definitely apply in multiple classes. So as a small business owner, when would you recommend, A, that people begin this trademark process, and then also keeping in mind that it is a small business owner with um, sometimes there's a difference between paying for a trademark application and paying for a website to be built. (laughs) And so we have to have really discretionary use of funds. Would it be acceptable to just file one class on the initial application and then come back as you add use and then continue? Or is it better just to wait and do them all at once? I would recommend it, you know, obviously this is my field, so I would do it as soon as you're using an application. Why? Because if you're using the application for a podcast and it's called the Hot Source Channel, and then later on you come up with a book, or later on you come up with a t-shirt, at that time you can file another application and you don't have to pay the filing fees. If you waited till that time frame, then you would be unprotected 
through the trademark registration process. And the trademark registration process would allow you to do two things. If your mark is registered, you can, one, collect attorney fees if you have to go and try to protect your mark because somebody else is using it. So you, you have that ability to collect attorney fees. The other thing is you are allowed to file in federal court. So by filing in federal court, you don't have to go to the state court where that person is actually using the application because we're a federal jurisdiction trademark registration. And then thirdly, you are allowed to use the R with a circle once you become a registered trademark. That is a question that comes up a lot, is the circle with the R and then the TM, and then at what point can, so you're saying you can only use the R if the trademark is final, but is there an interim symbol that you can use when it's under review or when you file the application? And what happens when people just do that, but they haven't even filed? So, so basically there's common law and there's registration. Common law is anything prior to registration and is based on the old English law. Essentially, if you have a good that you're trying to protect, you can have the TM symbol that identifies the world that you're claiming a trademark interest in it. If it was a service, you would have the small SM. Once the mark is actually through the entire USPTO process and actually becomes a registered mark and a registration certificate is issued, at that point, you are allowed to use the R with a circle next to your name or brand. Okay. So, okay. So why aren't why aren't most people just using the TM like crazy? I, I don't see it as often as I would think that you might uh, most based on what you're saying. Most people haven't to a trademark attorney for one. <laughs> <laughs> see, bonus folks, you, know, you get you it right know. here. <laughs> if you don't know, you don't know, but now you know. So when you know better, do better. I, um, I actually would start using it right away in any business because you're identifying to the world that you're claiming an ownership interest in that mark, even though it's not registered. And therefore, when somebody does go out and tries to do something with it, you're, you're actually can use that down the road, even though it's not registered, to prove that you're actually been, everybody knew, you knew about it, and you still went in its head and tried to register it, knowing that I own it. Great. So it's basically saying, I have this inten intention, and my intention is to get this registered. Essentially, yes. Okay. And so coming back to that age-old question, which I know is really hard to define because every business is different. And like you're saying, there's service businesses and then there's product-based businesses. But in the scheme of, and you also talked a lot about, you know, helping businesses get incorporated. So let's start from the beginning. I have a business idea. I've gotten the URL. I'm getting ready to launch the business. Is Do I get incorporated first and then register the trademark before I ever even take the first dime of revenue? What is the process in terms of linear sequence and timing um, in a range? Because I know every business is different. Absolutely. So first of all, even before you get the URL, you might want to check out to see if the name can be registered as a trademark or registered as a corporation in the state you are. Because what if you got the name uh, XYZ, but XYZ is taken as a registered trademark and is taken as an incorporation in your state, you won't be able to use the same name. So if you're trying to brand purposes, you might want to even start that in the first process. So you want to try to come up with a name that would be available in all three. Typically though, I would say you want to incorporate first. And the reason why, you and even though I understand that there's a process and there's an expense to do that, but the main reason you want to incorporate first is you have limited liability protection, meaning that you're only liable for the debts and obligations 
of the corporation. You're not personally liable. If I was to go out and get a domain and it was Coca-Cola and it was K-O-K-E, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure no one's ever thought of that. Right. And then, uh, and then they sue me, you know, I'm personally liable. Whereas if I did on the corporation and the corporation has $1,000 and it's only liable for the $1,000, so long as there's certain are exceptions, it's not intentional, it's not fraudulent, I didn't do it for certain reasons. But the reason why I would do it first is once you incorporate, the corporation then can own the domain and own the trademark. And so when you're applying for everything, you want to apply for the trademark and you want to even get the domain name in the name of the corporation, now you have the limited liability protection associated with it. So I would always start out with a corporation first. If you don't have one and you want to take your chances, you are taking some risk of your personal assets. And the biggest personal asset people typically have is their house and maybe some stocks and bonds. Very smart advice. And so getting incorporated first for that, for all kinds of really good reasons. And then uh, what I wanted to ask you when you were saying, even before getting incorporated, because I think this is such a great point in, in working with thousands of women entrepreneurs, especially over the years, but lots of startups, women and men entrepreneurs, this is something that comes up a lot. And that is just jumping kind of like headfirst in because they get the idea and the spark is there and they're like, you know, heck yes, I'm ready to go. But I don't know that they've most often think through these uh, checklists of things that you were just saying in terms of check with the state, check with the um, trademark, check the three things that you listed off. What are the resources for people? So I've come up with this great business idea. It's the Peter and Tracy Roadshow. <laughs> So where am I going to go? And I'm a Florida-based, uh, and I want to be a Florida-based corporation. So where am I going to go to check those three things that you mentioned before I get incorporated? So first, you want to check out domain, and you want to go to, you know, check out a domain name. And so if Peter and Tracy is available, first you want to see if you can get the domain. You might not be able to get the domain, or somebody may be using it already, and so they may have a prior right for a trademark for it. So you might still be able to get the corporation name in that, but you still want to check there. And for and that, that would be go, and just that would be just in the state of Florida at this point, right? So I would no, go. No, no, no. Well, the domain okay. is 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 international. Oh, I mean, like on like on GoDaddy or like domain meaning URL. Yeah, sure, you can go to. So uh, I would go for Peter and Tracy It's secured. Check one. You can go to domain. Okay. Two, you can go to the USPTO.gov. And you can see if there's anything. And you have to do some type of searches, so it's a little bit tricky, but you could do a, a search for Tracy and Peter, both in the trademark name, to see what pops up. So you can, there might be a tra uh, Peter and Tracy, not a road show, but Peter and Tracy radio show, or Peter and Tracy something else. And so you want to see what else, if, if, it, if they might be an overlap there. And then for the corporation, if you got through all those two tests, uh, there's one more place I'd go before I go to the Secretary of State. And one is, I would actually go to Google and type in Tracy and Peter Roadshow and see what comes up. It might be in a blog post. It might be in a social media somewhere. There might be someone out there where it comes out. You just want to check it out before you make that commitment. And then lastly, you would go to the Secretary of State website for Florida, if that was your state, or California, and you want to go. They Typically, they'll have a name availability section. In that name availability section, you can type in Peter and Tracy, not even Roadshow, just Peter and Tracy is what I would stick with because Roadshow is going to be afterwards. If you got Peter and Tracy, fine. You don't need to worry about the Roadshow being added. But if you can't get Peter and Tracy, that's already creating a problem. Um, 
But you know that that that's the name availability part. I would say even before you do any of that, you want to validate the concept. Oh, without a doubt, absolutely. But I think the Peter and Tracy Roadshow concept <laughs> is already validated. <laughs> just take a listen to our radio show. You will know. So obviously, just even in this short time that we've been together as counsel with the expertise in the trademark field, you've been able to provide some amazing information. So I don't think I think it goes without saying the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, which is, should people hire a trademark attorney versus trying to navigate the process online? So trying to navigate the process online can work in some circumstances. You know, it's basically, it's a risk factor, right? If you have a trademark attorney that has 30 years experience, they're going to know a lot of the things that could go right, that could go wrong, and whether or not your success. Basically, by going to an attorney, that lowers the probability you're going to have a problem. If you go to a service like a LegalZoom or a Trademarkia, which are two trademark type services out there, you're still going to have issues because all that you are doing is you are providing the information. So they're going to take the application and ask you the questions and you're giving them the information and they're just putting it on the application. Whereas an attorney is going to think it through, the LegalZoom concept is just taking your information and putting it on the proper form and submitting it. They're not going to make any of the analysis to determine whether or not it's accurate or not. Uh, and then to do it yourself, you're pretty much doing something similar to a LegalZoom concept, but you won't even get that part because you're going to have to try to figure it out. What do they mean by, uh, you know, specimen? W what does that mean? Whereas LegalZoom might tell you, they might not tell you. And the trademark attorney is going to say, well, this is an acceptable specimen or not. So I think what it does is, while the cost is higher as you go up the stream, you're getting the probability of success is also increasing and also the probability of paying money and not having anything. And at the end of the day, there really isn't that much cost. If you look at the cost of going to a legal zoom, okay, you might be spending four or five hundred up to a thousand dollars. And some attorneys may be charging less than that. So then you're actually just buying into the branding of a legal zoom and going ahead and trying to go ahead with something when the reality is you could actually have hired an attorney for less. Do it yourself. A lot of people like to do it themselves and sometimes it works, but they don't have that curve of having done it before and they may or may not do it correctly. So you can do it that way and it might work, it might not work. You increase your odds of success by going up the stream. Well, and I would also think, too, that you increase your odds of success if you have to defend the trademark, too, because that's really where it's going to the rubber's going to meet the road on how well your trademark is going to hold up if you, in the event, have to defend it against, i.e., some large corporation like Facebook. I mean, it can and will happen that you could be tested with your trademark, whether it's another business in another state or whether it's a global corporation. So I would assume, and you can validate, that having had it done right from the onset puts you in a much stronger position to defend the trademark if you ever had to. Well, sure, because the analysis has already gone through. And the reality is, as I said, some people may have a mark that they think they can get registered, no problem. And maybe they even sneak it through the system and then they realize, well, there's another company out there that had it and you couldn't even, you should not have even have filed the registration. I've had companies that have filed an incorporation. They call me up and they say, I filed this incorporation in California and now the trademark company is coming after me and saying, we own that trademark. 
Well, they probably should have done a search prior to that, but they don't know. And when yeah, you don't your, know, you don't your know. three-step checklist, I think, is invaluable. I mean, I think every business owner needs to have that. I think we need to get that out into the world more for these new startups that are, as a result of the great resignation that's happening, so many people are starting their own businesses. They are going to need to know the the great three checklists from Peter. <laughs> and, and the last thing you want to do is end up in a dispute because then you either A, have to change your mark and start the process from scratch and all the monies that you've spent building the name over two, three, five, ten years to build it up to something where people actually know you are, you're going to lose that. So that's a risk factor. People don't think about it. They think, well, I'm a small guy. No one's going to come after me. I'm not worried about that. One example was Mailbox Centra found out a company was operating as a Mailbox Centra in Carolina. And, you know, they didn't think anything of it. We came after them. So, I mean, it can happen to anyone. Uh, so you need to really make sure that your name uh, is not going to have a problem down the road. Well, once again, you have provided some invaluable insights and information and been a true resource for entrepreneurs, podcasters, content creators, everyone who is embarking on a new business venture or looking at their own business as it's set up right now and reconsidering how their business is set up and correcting that. Tell us how uh, people can get in touch with you if they want to utilize you for your services. Let us know how we can get in touch with you. And that way people can get your services when they're ready to get their trademark rolling. Thank you, Tracy. So uh, our website is www.lacorporateattorney.com. LACorporateAttorney.com. That's where our law office site is hosted. You can also, if you wanted to, you could email me at Peter Bronze, P-E-T-E-R-B-R-O-N-Z at gmail.com. And if you mention anything, we'll definitely take care of you, give you the extra super duper care. Uh, All you have to do is mention the Peter and Tracy Roadshow, and he'll exactly. know exactly where. <laughs> or ask Brian. <laughs> or ask Brian might be a little easier, but it is spelled B-R-I-E-N, ask Why Brian. Why <laughs> Because we're exceptional, and we'll just leave it at that for today. <laughs> and experienced. Uh, and experienced, and experts. Um, so, no, Peter, thank you so much. And if you could leave our audience with one tangible takeaway tip that they could implement today to be well on their way in this um, track, other than reaching out to you at lacorporateattorney.com, what is one tip that you would like to provide to our audience today? Well, I think I've technically already provided, and that is make sure the name you pick is available because otherwise the cost to retrace that and start over again is going to be quite expensive. Amen. Do not be penny wise and dollar foolish when it comes to your brand. Thanks, Peter. And we thank you for listening and watching. Well, thank you very much, Tracy. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian radio show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.